Today we're going to talk about hearing the voice of God. We're going to talk about how we hear the voice of God in the light of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So I want you to sit back and relax and just have an open heart to see and understand the depths of the resurrection and how that pertains to everyday life. A few days ago, I spoke to somebody and they said to me, Bertie, we want to just understand more about, and then I spoke on the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We want, we want to understand more to the point where we can know how that practically applies to our life. And if we look at Jesus Christ, the resurrection, and what took place 2,000 years ago, we might today say, uh, this happened 2,000 years ago. How does that pertain to my life today? And how does that help me to actually hear the voice of God? And that is what we're going to look at today. Now, to start off, I want to talk a little bit about the Ark of the Covenant. And I'm going to repeat my view on what the Ark of the Covenant is. Most of you that maybe have not heard this before, I'm sure you will be very blessed with this. Um, if we look at the Ark of the Covenant, it was basically a box covered in gold and it had a lid and that lid was called the mercy seat. Uh, in Afrikaans it's called the versundaxel or actually the lid of reconciliation. That is what it actually means. It's so beautiful. So we find that mercy equals uh, reconciliation and as we have seen, seen in the communion, the sure mercies of David was then the resurrected Christ. So we find this, this mercy seat talking about reconciliation, talking about mercy uh, and giving actually definition to what mercy is. We can say that mercy is or the mercy seat is reconciliation, is resurrection, is life. Uh, is the very influence of God unto life. That is what it is. So uh, what we found was this mercy seat. This mercy seat had dimensions on our, uh, our, uh, the width and the length of it, but no dimension on the depth. And it is beautiful to think of it as that there is no depth to the, um, or the depth cannot be measured. There is great depth, but it cannot be measured. Immeasurable depth of the grace and the mercy of God. Uh, and it was plated, gold-plated, meaning that it talks about divinity, who God actually is. And then what was very beautiful about this was two, cher uh, two cherubim, uh, or cherubim, on, the, on this Ark of the Covenant, and their wings were spread out over the mercy seat. And then it was said that uh, in the Bible that God would come himself and he would meet with the high priest from between those cherubim. And from there, he would speak to the high priest. And that is uh, what, what it all was, was all about. But we know that the old is a shadow of the new. Even until today, there are people searching for the Ark of the Covenant. And when we look at the uh, people wanting to rebuild the temple, a third temple, they will have to find that Ark of the Covenant to put it in there, uh, which I don't know if it, if it exists. But 
uh, that's beside the point. People are still looking for that ark, but that ark was a type and a shadow of something else. That ark was put in the most holy place. The most holy place was a square room with equal dimensions, a complete uh, cube, uh, and it was inside that cube. That was also part of a temple uh, wherein all of this was. And if we look at Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, all of, we take the whole old, we take even the Jesus Christ coming to the earth, we see one thing, and that is that God always wanted to live with His people. If we look at the Garden of Eden, the Garden of Eden was actually um, pointing to a temple. We find that, or a temple is pointing to the Garden of Eden where God dwells with His people. In the temple uh, of that Solomon built, there was uh, palm trees engraved into the stone. Why? Because that speaks of the Garden of Eden. It talks about where God came to dwell with His people. That is what it is all about. And the place from where God would rule, the place from where God would reign, would be then this Ark of the Covenant, or the Mercy Seat, or what we can say then, the platform of reconciliation, or the platform of eternal life. Now, where do we find this in the New? The Bible says in Revelation 21 that when the new Jerusalem will come from heaven, the city would be perfectly square and there will be no temple inside it and there will be no sun and moon for the Lord will be the one uh, that glorifies and enlightens the whole city from within itself. That is what will take place. And we find that this new city, which is the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, is the very dwelling place of God. That is where God has come and He has put His throne amongst His people, living in His people. That's what it all points, uh, points to. But if we want to specifically look at the Ark of the Covenant, where do we see it in the time of Jesus? Where do we see this fulfilled? The Ark of the Covenant, and I'm going to explain to you now, was the, and was seen in the very grave of Jesus Christ. And this is how it took place. Jesus was buried. After he was buried, he uh, was in the grave for, uh, for a time. On the third day, he was resurrected. When he was resurrected, the first people that came there, what did they see? They saw the place where Jesus was lying. And then the Bible clearly describes what, how it looked. There was an angel at the head of the place where Jesus was lying and one at the feet. So you found that piece of stone where they would lay him and then you found an angel on the one side and an angel on the other side. And what in the old had that? The Ark of the Covenant. Meaning that the platform from where God rules is eternal life. The platform, the victory of God, the throne of mercy is the resurrection, is immortality is life unto man. It is to seal man up with that everlasting covenant, the sure mercies of David, which is the resurrection, immortality, life and immortality in human body. That is what it's all about, raising a man from the dead. So God's 
throne, the platform from where God rules in this world and in your life is the fact that a human being that has died, that had the death of all people on him, that the sin of, was made the sin of all, has conquered death. That is God's mercy seat. So if we come to the throne of grace uh, to obtain mercy, what, what is it all about? We come to the God that raises the dead. Paul even says in Corinthians somewhere, he says there, we were despaired even of life itself to the point that we could only believe in the God that raises the dead. It was also a prayer of the Jews where they prayed in and believed in the God that can raise the dead. And now we find that God actually came and right from the beginning, when he spoke of the Ark of the Covenant, he was talking about the covenant or we can use the word covenant. Um, it is an, it's a Semitic word, I believe. It's, it's, it's not a... And it is also in tribes. We find covenants and all those kind of things. In modern day, we will use contracts and those kind of things. But I would like to say the promise. We find the promise that God has made um, revealed, which is eternal life. And that's why it says in Titus so clearly that the promise of eternal life, which was before the world began, that's what God has promised man. That is what he had in mind. We find that that is the platform from where Jesus today and God himself has got, uh, is establishing his kingdom or manifesting the kingdom that he established in the resurrection in this world. Now, you might say, but what does that have to do with hearing the voice of God? I think it's got everything to do with it. Um, because in that resurrection we find a healing. In that resurrection we find a unity with God, uh, becoming one with God. Even if we look at Ephesians, that beautiful chapter, and we read from verse 23 onwards, we see how Paul comes and he describes the marriage between Jesus or the unity between Jesus and the church as a husband and wife that becomes one flesh. They become one flesh. Now, uh, that is amazing. You know, it doesn't just talk about the act of becoming one. It talks about actually sharing in the very same body. That is what it's talking about. And Paul says this is the mystery that was hidden. This, this is the true mystery. It's a mystery to us that uh, Jesus actually left his abode and came to dwell amongst his people and become one with them. I want to say to you that from that union and that unity, there is a powerful way in hearing the voice of God. I look at uh, my wife and I. <clears throat> you know, uh, it wouldn't be like this all the time, but in many instances, it doesn't even matter if I'm on the other side of the world. I would know in my heart if she's happy or not, or if something that is bad has happened, I would know that. Something good happens, I would have peace within me. Or I would think, man, let me call her now. And then she would say, man, I was about to call you. Things like that happen. Plus, um, when decisions must be made, the one will exactly know what the other one would have done, even if they've never been confronted with that situation. And the reason would be because of this union. The reason would be because of this oneness, where it's not needed to pick up the phone and give a call and hear, uh, what must I do? It's 
It's almost by intuition. You just know. But it's more than intuition. It is union. It is the one living inside the other one. From there, you already know what to do. From there, you already hear the voice. And I'm sure you can hear where I'm going to go with this. Now, I want <clears throat> to explain the importance of the resurrection to you uh, and how important it was in the life of the Apostle Paul. I want to read from Acts chapter 9, and um, I'm going to read from verse 1. It says, And Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest. So he was, he was breathing out threatenings and slaughter. Now that doesn't sound like you just want to have a birthday party. He wants to kill these people. Why does Paul want to do this? The reason why Paul would want to do this was because he was a Pharisee. Um, uh, and he was very zealous about this. All the Pharisees were already zealous, but he was very high up amongst these people that were so zealous for the law. And what they believed was that if we can just get uh, the people to follow the law properly, then the Messiah can come, and then the Messiah can deliver Israel from the oppression of Rome and all the heathen. And then through the obedience of the law, the Messiah can come. And what I think what they would do is the, the Messiah would actually see this law is followed properly and so forth. And then through that, we would find great power, even power over sin, power over death and so forth, just by obeying that law. And they believed uh, that as they would obey this law, they would usher in the Messiah. It would, the Messiah would be born, born amongst people. They didn't think the Messiah would fall from heaven. They thought it would be someone born, a physical man, that would be born. A Messiah would come. And, um, and that would happen as they truly obey the law. And now they were struggling. I mean, they were Pharisees. And now they had the Sadducees, which were basically heading up, running the big things in the Sanhedrin and all those kind of things, which were Sadducees. And there were differences between them and not complete unity. So they were already thinking, man, because of this disunity, the Messiah cannot come. And now they find this guy call, that called himself Jesus, which was, according to uh, Saul that time, he must have just been seen as a liar and a deceiver, and what he came to do is, he's going to say that he's the Messiah. And then a lot of people followed after him. And I'm sure Paul thought, uh, you know, afterwards that all those things were fake miracles. It was not true. It was all a lie. And then the lie upon lies, which would bring the greatest havoc to, uh, to, the, to Israel, was that it was now believed that this liar, Jesus, was raised from the dead. And then he got so upset. And you can see what he's saying here. Yet breathing out threatenings. It's almost like you can see a dog that is so angry that he's, he's foaming at the mouth. That's how this man feels. Yet there's something else going on in his heart as well to a certain degree here. And he, and he says, well, I'm going to go and I'm going to get um, a, a, a letter. He says here... Um, and Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went out to the high priest and desired of him letters to Damascus, to the synagogues, 
that if he found any of the way, that is Jesus. Now it was called the, uh, um, it was called the way, obviously the way unto life. Whether they were men or women, that he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven. And he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you persecute. It is hard for you to kick against the pricks or the goads. So what is, what is happening here? We're talking resurrection. We're talking about the importance of the resurrection in the life of Paul, the importance of seeing the resurrection as the place from where God rules, seeing the importance of the uh, resurrection and having an understanding of that uh, and how it changed the life of Paul and how that would help you to actually hear the voice of God in a way that you never thought you'd, it, it would be possible. <clears throat> so what happens here is amazing because remember Saul was thinking, he didn't think Jesus was raised from the dead. He didn't believe that. He, he, he just thought that was all lies. He thought that that message was, it had to be uh, quenched. It had to be wiped from Jerusalem and from people's minds. He was just thinking, let us just catch these people that are spreading these lies. Let us wipe this, this, this Christianity thing off the face of the earth so that we can obey our laws. And as we are obeying our laws, the Messiah, the true Messiah would come. So in his mind, and I'm sure Paul, as he was riding uh, uh, the donkey or as he was traveling, walking maybe, he must have been praying. He, I mean, the, Paul wasn't just this angry guy. He was angry for a reason. And the reason he was so angry was because he was so zealous for the scriptures. He was reciting the prayers. He was thinking of all these things. And all of a sudden, uh, here the heavens open up. And now he can see into the heavens. And he can see, he can basically have an, a glimpse on who God can be. And when he looked into the heavens and this opened up and Jesus appeared to him, he was confronted with a very big problem. Because the one he thought was dead was standing right in front of him in a physical form. Some might say he wasn't standing in a physical form because others didn't see it. They just saw a light shine right, right about him, but they didn't see Jesus himself in physical form. Paul, when he comes in 1 Corinthians 15, describes the appearing of Jesus to him uh, equally to the appearing of the people that Jesus appeared to just after he was raised from the dead. So here stands the man that he thought was dead. But that was amazing to him. I mean, that must have blown his mind, uh, blown his theology completely out of the water. And here he sees this man. But I think something that shocked Paul even more was the following words. And this was it when he said, Who art you, Lord? And he says, I am Jesus, who you are persecuting. Now, what must be going on in the mind of Paul? I thought Jesus was dead. Well, here he stands, 
When I asked him who he is, he says, I am the very man you are persecuting. But he's not persecuting Jesus. He's persecuting the church. <laughs> so, I mean, these things wouldn't even have been possible in Jewish thought. Here, the man, the physical man that was raised from the dead, which he now, if you look, if you look at Ezekiel, if you look at the appearing to Isaiah and those kind of things, was something that the Jews did believe in. And here God basically appears to Paul. And when he looks at this God, he finds something completely strange. This is Jesus that was raised from the dead. And this physical Jesus, of whom, the, of whom the body wasn't in the grave anymore, which is now in front of Paul, says these words, these people you're persecuting, that is me. My body and their bodies, they are one. I mean, where did Paul get the idea of the church is the body of Christ? Imagine that. Where did he get it? He had to get it here. This is what I believe. This is where it started. So, what is amazing is, and I think this is where Paul, uh, and we also need to understand when Paul looked into this, this appearing that took place. Uh, it's referred to as a revelation. That revelation wasn't a revelation like we would sit and say, aha, I've had an aha moment. No, that revelation was a revealing, uh, which from where in the Greek we get the, the English word from apocalypse which means the opening, the ending of all things, what it would look like in the end. And what he saw was, he saw a physical body raised from the dead of a physical man that did walk the earth, whom everybody knew. Here is that person right in front of him, and he saw the end of that body or the, 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 the consummation of all things. And he saw that body physical, raised at the right hand of God, in equality with God, immortal, living forever, above sin. That's what he saw. But that person said that if you're persecuting these folk, you're persecuting me. So I, I believe from there Paul had to conclude that this Jesus will take these people and in the end, these people will have to be justified. In other words, the accounts must balance out. What is seen here and what is seen there will have to be reconciled in this eternal life wherein this Jesus can never return back unto, un, unto the grave again, never die. And that is why these people will have a holy life and immortality on account of this Jesus. And I believe that's, that's the foundation from where Paul started to build his whole theology, uh, where he started to build his idea of who God is, his search for God, who God is, what God is, how God manifests, how he thinks, how he lives with us. All of that started with the resurrected Jesus. <laughs> My goodness. <clears throat> This is, it, it's too wonderful. Uh, I, I just become overwhelmed when I think of this because the fact that Jesus was in a physical body raised from the dead and that body can never die, is free from sin and death, 
is seated at the right hand of God. And when Paul looked into that, he looked into the end of all things. He looked into the apocalypse. And then Jesus said, if you touch this person, you're touching me. That means that I am heading there. Not there like in heaven, but there like in above sin, above mortality, and all of that in my physical body. That is the promise. That is the sure mercies of David. Glory to God. I don't have time now to explain the second part of Isaiah 55 there, but that's what it talks about. Now, <clears throat> how does that pertain to hearing the voice of God? If we go to, um, <clears throat> let me just dwell on this a little bit more. If we think of Ephesians, let, let us go there. And then we can go to Psalms. It says here, for uh, uh, wives, submit yourselves unto your husband. This is verse 22. As unto the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church or the husband of the church. And he is the savior of the body. My goodness, there it is. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is is the head of the church and he is the savior of the body therefore as the church is submitted unto christ let us let the wives be unto their own husbands even in everything husband love your wives even as christ has loved the church and has given himself for her that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of the water of the word that he might present to himself a glorious church not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loves his wife loves himself. For no man ever hates, uh, yet hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it even as the Lord, the church. He sees the church as part of his very own flesh. Can you see that? For we are members of of his body and of his flesh and of his bones for this course shall a man leave his father mother and be joined unto his wife and they shall be one flesh this is a great mystery but i speak concerning christ and the church <laughs> isn't that powerful so I won't tell you, <clears throat> trying to get rid, I just want to use something very pra practical here, trying to get rid of your financial stress by sowing money here, trying to follow some principle or whatever, looks like nothing. It is absolutely nothing. It actually boils down to mockery as pertaining to the union that God has provided in Jesus, wherein whatever provision He has flows to you by His union with you, as Paul has seen the apocalypse, the end of all things, 
the resurrected Jesus, which has made himself one with us. And as we believe upon this truth, we find the Spirit that raised Christ from the dead living us. And now in this union, as what my wife can hear my voice out of the union that we have, in me actually living in her, in her being part of me, where I know what she likes, not just from the point of I've learned things about her, because, you know, you can watch somebody's life and you can know what they would like, but there's certain places where what you've seen in the past will never be able to tell you what they will decide in that moment. But from the union of marriage, you'll find just like a supernatural power, if you want to call it like that, or we can just call it union, oneness, where the one lives in the other one, and that person would know what the other one wants and what the will of the other one would be. And I believe that is why today, if we look in the old, we, um, in the old, what people did was, they went and they had, uh, uh, in the times of, Abraham and those people, they didn't speak to God. I mean, there weren't prophets uh, speaking, to, speaking for people. I mean, there was Melchizedek, you know, which was a high priest. But most of the people would go and put their children through fire, slaughter animals. Uh, some of the customs was that they would take a, a, a lamb, cut him out and take the liver out. And as the liver was lying when they take it out, there was a way wherein they could read the liver and from there determine the future of nations. That is how these Mesopotamian people lived. And this is where Abram comes from. He came from the Chaldean people. And this was what these people knew. And some of the things they would do is they would offer their children, uh, burn them on, on the stake to hear so they could get direction and voice, a voice from God. You know, they would sacrifice that and then cut out the liver and see it and try and find the future. But God came in the old and he says, no, I don't want you to do that. I will speak to you through prophets. And he gave prophets and he gave people and they, and they, they spoke to the people. It was almost as if there was a bit of a, a God speaking from the outside, as if God still was busy forming something and he was. But now we find that in the new, as we see this, I'm not saying God couldn't speak to the hearts of people. I believe the Holy Spirit could speak into, to the hearts of people in the old even and appear and bring visions and dreams and all those kind of things. But I believe what we have now is something that's greater than everything. We are now heading into the first part of the consummation of all things. We are now at the place where we are hearing the voice of God from the union there is between us and Jesus. And that is on account of the spiritual body. I'm not saying a spirit. I'm talking about the physical resurrected body and how that pertains to us. In other words, the moment we believe in Jesus was raised from the dead and we come to the throne of grace, we see the the ark of the covenant of eternal life, we start to see the end of it all as a physical immortal man and not the um, warped idea 
of a heaven with a street of gold and a, 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 a river flowing there. And those are all types and shadows of the church and God's relationship with the church. That is not what the end goal is. Those are all shadows. It is all uh, stories. It, it, it wants to tell us something much deeper. It is showing a reality. It's showing unto a reality, which is what we have in Christ. So when we hear the voice of God, we hear the voice of God from the platform of being, and this is where Psalm 37 comes in, where he says, delight yourself in the Lord. What did Paul say? Lord, who are you? I am Jesus, who you are persecuting. Now, <clears throat> some people take that passage, let me just throw this in here, so out of context that they say that the church is the body of Jesus to the point that Jesus doesn't have a physical body anymore outside of us, which is a lie, because that's not the truth. Jesus physically appeared to Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Mary, 500 at once, and many other people. He physically appeared to them, and he wasn't them. He was still him, and they were them. And the union between the physical body of Jesus and our physical bodies is not that the one body has dissolved into nothingness and now his spirit lives in us and he doesn't have any other body but us. That is absolute blasphemy. Um, sadly, that's going around the church. But the union described is like the union between me and my wife. I have my own body and she has her own body, but we are one. And that is how this whole thing works. And when we behold the resurrected Jesus, we see the end, we see the consummation, we see the apocalypse, we see where we are heading, and we know that by no law can we ever have that produced in us. The only way it can be produced is by this union. And that is called, uh, and, and that, that taking of the wife under the power of the husband, where the husband is higher than the wife, and the husband is the savior of the body, we are at the place where we just say, well, he saves my body. And he will raise me up, and he will glorify me, and he will bring immortality, and he will join heaven and earth, and he will bring that to us, and he will conquer my sin. He conquers my weakness. He conquers uh, the fruit of the flesh in me, and he brings forth his very life in me. And we can see that in the early church already. Why? Because the same Jesus that was willing to die to save others, we found the same thing, the same words in the life of Stephen the martyr in Acts 7. When he was, when he was martyred and he was stoned, he opened his eyes. He says, behold, I see the heavens open. And he says, and I see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of the Most High. That's what he said. And they stoned him. And as they were stoning him, his face became like that of an angel. And he said these words, forgive them. They know not what they do. He, he, he basically repeated what Christ was doing. And what are we seeing? We're seeing the very life of Christ 
in these people, where they didn't love their lives even unto the end, where does it come from? It is a sign of the union. It's a sign of the oneness. That is why the fruit of the Spirit, this resurrection, the Spirit that raises us from the dead instead of us trying to raise ourselves by the work of the law, is called love, peace. That's where it all comes from. I want to tell you good works. A holy life cannot be accessed by a decision of the will. It is impossible, absolutely impossible. The only way it can be accessed is by a man dying, enter your death, being raised from the dead, and then he has to be in union with you. You see it, you believe upon it, and you find through a relationship as a husband and a wife, believe in one another, you find that he saves the body. And as he's saving the body, you find a union. You find that uh, in that time of stoning, Stephen is hearing the voice of Jesus, where Jesus was saying, Father, forgive them. They know not what to do. Don't keep the sin, a sin against them, and so forth. He didn't, I don't believe the Father, he heard the Father say, okay, Stephen, now say these words. No, he was hearing it from the union of the very Christ, the very God living in him. And that is what we call, and what I would call, lordship, where he lords it over us, where he, he has dominion over us. Now the Bible says in Psalm, and I'm, uh, let, let us read it. Let us not be in a rush there. Let, let us read Psalm quickly there. Psalm, um, <clears throat> thirty-seven. Verse four, it says, delight yourself in the Lord. Delight yourself in this fact that He is over us. He is in that immortality and He saves our bodies. Delight yourself in that. As you are delighting yourself in that, what happens? He starts to bring forth desires in your heart. Look at... Uh, uh, Stephen, when he was stoned, what was the desire of his heart? Don't keep this against them. <laughs> we find the highest form of life come to us through this. Hallelujah. This is absolutely awesome, magnificent. Glory to God. He says, he will give you the desires of your heart and then you commit your way unto him. These things that comes to your heart, you leave it up to him. He will perform it. How will he perform it? He will, he will save the body. He will save you from what is oppressing you and so forth. It's like me delighting in the Lord. And as I'm delighting in the fact that he is the savior of my body, he is bringing that immortality to me. As I'm in that, he gives me desires. What are my desires? My desires is simple things, uh, a, a happy family life in every aspect of our lives, always a love relationship between me and my wife and my children, uh, people around me. I feel desires to be absolutely generous and kind and loving, passionately wanting to give my life to people. And what do I do then? Do I then jump and try and do all those things? No. I commit this to the Lordship of Christ, wherein He, by His, the power of that resurrection, and as I just see that open heaven, that, that 
apocalypse, that end of all things, where he's taking me. As I see that, the Bible says we are changed into the very same image as what we are beholding by him. And I believe that is the greatest, most powerful way where you can ever hear the voice of God. Um, It saddens me, and and I don't want to, I don't want to say we, we don't have prophets in the New Testament at all. I, I don't say that we don't have. I don't say that we don't have a word of encouragement and all those kind of things. But it saddens me to see how people are, and I don't say it's a bad thing. If that is the case, that is the case. But if somebody comes up on Facebook and says, listen, man, <clears throat> I want to give prophetic words, you will find hundreds of people run there. That got hundreds of people run there. Why? And then you will find the man say, well, thus says the Lord, you know, a year ago you've done this, uh, 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 you know, and give some accurate words, which I don't deny it can be God. But I mean, in my life, I don't want to hear what I've done five years ago and see somebody supernaturally knowing that. I already know that. I already know my telephone number and the telephone number of my wife. I'm not in the need of that, although I'm not foolish in thinking that that can tell people that this is already true. Well, they already know it's true, otherwise they wouldn't have come to the prophet in the first place. And this might encourage people to know that God knows them and God is there for them and all of that. But let, please let that not serve as the way wherein God speaks to you, but let that serve as the thing where it can draw you to the understanding of the resurrection, where you can see the truth, where the voice of God is not that of somebody always having to give you a scripture, uh, speak to you, and, and you know, give you a prophetic word and all those kind of things. I'm not saying there is not a place for that. Please hear that. But I believe there's a better way. And it's time for us to open up our eyes to what the truth is, where we hear the voice of God from the platform of the very being we've become and are becoming in our union with a resurrected, eternal, immortal Jesus. The problem that we have, and uh, some might be upset about me saying this, but the problem we've had is we've made the end goal heaven. The end goal is not heaven. It has never been heaven. The end goal for heaven was earth. That is the truth. That is is the whole thing. God always came down. He came down. And even when He comes down, the Bible says, He will come down and we will meet Him in the air. That is a Roman way of saying, uh, uh, and it's also talking about God coming down. It will talk about the trumpet that blowed. The Jews understood that not as we going away. It talked about as Moses went up to the mountain and met God in the air to come down from there and have God tabernacle amongst the people. That's what it talks about. We've had this idea of heaven all the time. We've had this idea of God, Jesus. Jesus, you know, he's actually become some form of a spirit when he was raised from the dead. That's absolute rubbish. Jesus didn't become a spirit. Jesus said, after his resurrection, touch me, flesh and bone. A a spirit doesn't have flesh and bone. By that, he declared that he is not a spirit. 
He declared that he is a human and he wanted those disciples to see what Paul saw on the road to Damascus so that we can live from the platform of the Ark of the Covenant is now amongst us, an eternal covenant, the sure mercies of David, resurrection life, immortality. That is now the platform, uh, that is the place where we are now. And where we're not saying, well, I'm going to become immortal by faithing enough. Just wasting your time again. Rest, wait, patiently wait. The Lord of glory will fully appear and manifest to all of us. And in the twinkling of an eye, we will be changed into the very same body as what he has. It is his job. It is his doing. And now we are experiencing the first fruit of this of which one is, I believe, how to hear in hearing the very voice of God from the very passion that is in your heart, from the love that comes forth inside you, from the generosity that is born in your heart. That's how you hear. You, it's actually the, the unctions of the fruit of the Spirit inside you is the very voice of God for you and then you don't jump and try and do it you see how God gives birth to it you see those desires as the first part of God actually bring this into manifestation and this is why he says here commit your way unto him and he shall bring it forth and he shall bring forth your righteousness as the light and your judgment as the noonday what did he what is Jesus when he manifests it was, he had a light brighter than the sun. And this is what he says, your righteousness, your justification shall shine as the glorified Jesus. Hallelujah. This is how I believe we hear the voice of God. You might say, Bertie, how do, I hear the, how do you hear the voice of God? Believe that Jesus is a physical being that came to this earth, physically died, was physically raised, and is immortal that cannot die and that the destination that where he what he what he is now not where he is as pertaining to a place away from earth that we have in our mind but where he what he is now is what we will be in this earth as he returns we meet him in the air welcoming him to the earth wherein his rule will glorify everything where we will have immortality and we will even see nature itself experience that immortality. Glory to God. So how do you hear the voice of God? See your union with the resurrected Jesus. Get a resurrection mindset. Ask God, teach me what you taught Paul. Please Lord, and as, he, as the Spirit helps us to see that, you'll find that you hear the voice of God by just your own desires coming forth. It would not be yours anymore. It would be Christ living in you. Amen. Amen. Let me pray for you. Father, I want to thank you for this wonderful, wonderful work that you have accomplished in becoming a human, in taking our chaos and our sin, conquering it, taking a physical man, the man, the last Adam, Jesus. And as we believe upon you, we find that that body and our bodies, physical bodies, is one. And as that 
And from that, you reign and rule over us. And your reign in us, as we believe this, is that voice, that unction unto the fruit of the Spirit, is your voice. And we rest and we believe upon you and your Spirit brings forth your life. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I pray for everybody that's watching, Lord. Thank you for confirming your word with signs, wonders, and miracles in their lives, healing their physical bodies, uh, uh, doing miracles, having signs for them that they can see, wow, these things are signs of what Bertie preached today, signs of what the Apostle Paul preached, signs of the true resurrection, the sure mercies of David. Thank you, Lord. Amen and amen. Well, guys, thank you so much for watching. Uh, I want to bring to your attention uh, all those that are in the United States of America, please go to my website and just uh, check out my itinerary there. You will see I'll, I'll be in the United States. We've, we're adding two more places 